Welcome to another episode of the Rod and Staff Podcast, the official podcast of the Congregation of St. George the Martyr of Cales River, along with the Chapelries of St. Mark the Evangelist and St. Monica Westbank. I'm Lindsay Shooters and I'm joined as always by our rector, Father Rodney Whiteman, the Archdeacon. Father Rodney, how are you doing on this lovely, sunny summer, summer day in winter? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, actually very beautiful. Now, Lindsay, we're doing very well through the grace of God. Just been through uh, some extensive ministry today with two funerals and a wedding um, and having to apply all your mindset regarding um, regulations. And, um, mm. and yesterday is extremely beautiful. And hopefully the whole month will turn out to be beautiful going forward. Since it is the month of compassion, our family's doing okay. Um, just one of my cousins are, have, have, have been tested positive and is in hospital at oh, the moment. Wow. And another family member who's got renal failure. So we, she's, she's a young lady in her early 40s. And so we're praying for her as well. Oh, my goodness. Well, my congratulations to the happy couple. My condolences to the families, and yeah, we we doing all right my side as well. We had a little unexpected excursion to the beach. Um, I I like dropping it on my family so now and again, and then um, the queue to get into the ice cream shop was a bit long, but luckily <laughs> everybody everybody that wasn't on the beach side. It seems like the beaches are open again, but <laughs> they're not really supposed to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, but Father Rodney, I see. Today we are, or at least this Sunday, we are celebrating the crafty knitters. So there's been a lot of knitting going on in my household. Um, you would swear that we have babies on the way. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> and I, Who she knows? Hates me when, she hates me when I, she will hate me when I, when she hears this. But so Monique doesn't, uh, she's still getting into like knitting and stuff. So, so she only knits like small things. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so my mother-in-law, her mother, um, Powers through like an entire jersey in like two days' time, or like a cap, or bed socks, and everything. And Monique is still busy on the back of this one tiny little jersey. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but yes, crafty knitters. I mean, that's an amazing um, response to a need that is it, it is quite alive and well right now. Um, do you want to talk some more about the crafty knitters, Father? Yes, certainly. Um, just to say that it's not about how big or small your your item is that you've knitted. It's how many stitches you've done plain, plain and pearl. That's the number. That's you're always counting your stitches. That's the important thing. I think. I think what I want to say about the crafting is when I read up the report that they sent in, and it will be in the pew leaflet this week, was that the the word knitting caught my attention because David expressed. Um, his understanding of how God put us together. And he said, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Mm. And so I always imagine that passage as God sitting there with a pearl and a plain stitch uh, mm. to, to put all our, all our, all our parts together. Uh, yeah. he, sees, he sees it. So, I mean, if David mentions knitting, then this knitting comes from way back. Mm. Um and so it's a craft that is um, has always been essential for the human race. And in terms of the crafty knitters, they have uh, one of the things that they said is that they have listened to the need out there, and so have formed this group um, of ladies and gentlemen, if you want to join, um, in order to address um, particular needs. Uh, for those in less fortunate positions, and this would be for babies who are newly born. Uh, there, uh, there's a need for them to have uh, warm clothes mm. and, and caps, especially, and then also caps for children going to school, the great artists, especially, and creches. And then there's also, um, you know, scarves and caps for our senior citizens who are out there. So those would be the, the sort of the main groups that people are caring for. And of course, little blankets as well. So mm. Monique's, Monique's little piece of, 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 of um, knitting, if she does more of that, she can put it together as a blanket. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, and I mean, the, the need, of course, is much greater during the colder months. Mm -hmm. um, but, but certainly they have their focus groups out there. And 
there's also, um, you know, pe- people come together, which is what we can't do too much of in, in these days. But, you know, um, I, I liked what they say in their, in, in their report is they come together and they experience a sense of joy and um, they have some things to eat and they also share recipes. So uh, it's more than just knitting that goes on. Uh, mm. it's, the fel- it's the fellowship. It's the um, learning of the craft. It is the um, the growing together and the bond, and also the focus on those for whom they're doing this. Yeah. And yeah. so we are very grateful for this um, ministry that is that is developed in our congregation, and hopefully more people will come. Um, not just those who know how to do the knitting, but also those who are wanting to learn the skill. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's not a skill just for women. Um, it's a skill for all. It may be able to quiet down violent souls if they learn how to how to knit, pearl and plain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I mean it's a. It's a, a Knitting and sewing and those sorts of handcrafts are actually the dawn of the computer age because the first computers that were programmed were loom machines um, to speed up knitting and sewing um, yeah. jobs. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's woven into our fabric as society. <laughs> just to continue yeah. with that tricky analogy. Yeah. Um, Father, if you would just like to welcome everybody and call everybody to the right mindset so we can get through this um, liturgy today. Thanks, thanks, Lindsay. The Lord who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, be with you. Good morning. Um, It is that time of the year when we enter into a new month. It's the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. And we still are during COVID-19. We daily recognize the information given to us, whether it's stabilizing, whether it's going down, or whether we've picked up. And uh, the practice of, of, of safety is very, very important. Uh, and I trust that we are doing, we are keeping it up. This is the month of compassion. And this week, we've been asked to focus on the themes of domestic violence and gender-based violence at at the same time celebrating the crafty knitters. And as we worship, God calls us into fellowship with him and to a deeper and meaningful and intimate uh, fellowship with each other. And um, so let us pray the collect for for today, for the ninth Sunday. And we remember we're praying this with the churches throughout Southern Africa. Oh my glorious God, You shower creation with abundance. Awaken in us a hunger for food that satisfies, that in the miracle of being fed, we will be empowered to feed the hungry in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Father, the first reading is Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Um, and obviously, again, it calls to attention like that there was a certain group of people, descendant of the Hebrews, whom God made his covenants with. Like Paul gets pretty, pretty Old Testament yeah. <laughs> in, 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 his, in, his, in his praise of, of, of these people he's, he's addressing. Um, where where does that that leave us, Father? I yeah I I I have no good things to say <laughs> when certain groups are, are isolated like that to to say that they are the true keepers of the covenant. Um, I believe that all of us can choose to be um, part of that community. Uh, what's what's your take on that, Father? I, I although Paul makes much of the fact that God called the people of the Hebrews to um, to be a special people, my understanding is not so much about their specialness, about them being um, nationalistically inclined around God, but rather mm. God called them to be 
a nation that can reach other nations for God. That the whole point of the covenant was to that God would be their God and they would be his people. And in so doing, their presence and their ministry, their worship, their interaction with the nations of the world around them, they would then draw those nations into fellowship with God. So it's like you, if God needed Lindsay, somebody to do the job um, in, a, in a place amongst people, he would choose one person or a group of people that can now be utilized, trained, uh, and, 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 and then also uh, transformed so that when they go and do that work, they come into that community, not because they're more special than the others are, but their presence on behalf of God will enable that those groups to develop and grow and see a better way forward for themselves. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of the covenant relationship was not that it becomes a nationalistic thing, which is unfortunately it became. The intention that God had was to reach the world through the people of Israel. In fact, what is very peculiar about it is God chooses the smallest, the, um, the, 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 the ones that wouldn't be able to brag about the army and, uh, mm. and their, their strengths. But, but, but a group of people who covenanted to God will then be used by God in ways to deal with and the world and create a world that is better for all people. And so uh, the covenanted, uh, the, the special relationship God had with them, that as they engage the other nations, they too then can help the other nations find this God. And you would actually see that um, the other nations had gods. And when they had the unique experience of, 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 of God of creation, God then um, enabled them to, or called them specifically, to be able to be a a community ministering to other communities, bringing them the knowledge of of God's love for the world. Covenant is God's love through God's people for the world. And so the Hebrews, unfortunately, like we do, miss the point. Yeah. Uh, we we behave in the same way. Um, um, somebody decides that the Anglican Church is not good enough for them today. Break away and move to where they create their own thing, and they are assuming that they are now the chosen people. And then they black, back back uh, they they lead back at the church they left, uh, assuming that this church knew nothing about. Uh, the Watson. I mean, I was intrigued by one of the people who did an uh, eulogy today, where this man I have ministered for almost five years. Uncle mm-hmm. Abed ministered mm-hmm. to this man for five years, but this person who did the eulogy said, just before he died, my daughter led him to Jesus. Now I oh, ask wow. myself. Now I ask myself the question: What are you talking about that we never did? Yet in the eulogy, mm-hmm. she said. He used to say, Mark did yet too, equal but. So what was he doing then in his going to Jesus? But it had to be highlighted now that my daughter led this man to Jesus as he was never led to Jesus. So in other words, my daughter is special. The church that she belongs to is special. And yeah. only they can do this. They can lead. So people not even listening to themselves. Here we are celebrating this man's life in the context of worship. And everything we said was about leading people to Christ. So, too, we behaving just like the Jews, uh, like the Hebrews did. And so Paul was very concerned that these people just don't seem to get it. And that's what he raised here was was they don't get their specialness, but they don't even get why they were special. And now he, and so now ministry, do you remember Jesus said something that was quite harsh for our ears, but relevant in the context that he spoke, where he says that, um, that one must first deal with the household of Israel, because where it should have been okay, it wasn't okay. Mm. And that is why he could also make the judgment statement. 
the axe is laid to the root of the tree. God was going to start something new because that which he thought would work would not work. However, by choosing, by making the group, making the circle bigger, if I can call it like that, God was not excluding Israel and not replacing them. But God was saying, you're still part of the specialness and you still have a role to what I've called you because you can't just break my, I can't just break my relationship with you like that. But because you never functioned in it, I now have to make the circle bigger. And that is why the Gentiles became included. And Paul in Romans would tell you how there's a grafting process. The root, the, 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 the little tree has been, has been planted, but now there's a grafting process because of what Jesus had, had done, uh, what God had achieved for us through Jesus. So I think that we do have to understand, and there's a, there's a, the song of Simeon says, and to the glory of my people Israel. And I often have trouble saying that because I'm now moved on from just Israel. As yeah. the Hebrew people. <laughs> but I'm also conscious of the fact, too, that I cannot n- ignore them because they were they had a were called into a very special relationship with Christ into which you and I have been grafted. But and so we continue the work of God through Christ. Um, no longer is that work that God, the covenant work through the Hebrew people, that covenant work is now through God, through Jesus Christ. And so, but the Israel don't lose that initial understanding of who God called them to be. But as we know, they've, they've been in conflict with the nations around them, that they should have won for Jesus. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is, that is controversial. Um, <laughs> Um, I I am just going to state for the record that I am not about the the preservation of Israel. I think um, there are atrocities happening in in that nation that um, were was enabled by a global community that was looking out for for something else and not the, the well being of um, the original citizens of that area. Um, and that's all I will say on that. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, you're talking about the political realm, and I have no problem with what you're saying. Because certainly, mm-hmm. if they if they did play the covenant role that they should have played, they wouldn't have been in such a disarray with their neighbors around them. Um, but, I mean, can we think of anything worse of a comparison than the, uh, to apartheid than the Israelites' treatment of the Palestinian people? Now, in yeah. my view, my view, God would never justify that. Um, because we know Jesus embraced, Jesus went out of the, of the, of the, of the, his stories tell us. He went outside. What I, what I like about the gospel, which we will come to now, is the last part of the gospel, where the, the gospel writer tells us who was part of the 5,000 and who was the, who, who was the group that was, 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 was part of, was part of the group but extended the 5,000. Mm. And and people that would not really be named these are women yeah. and children. So Jesus actually shows us that the circle has become bigger. I, I would therefore just say, you see, America's loyalty, and I think that's the function, America's loyalty to Israel has got nothing to do with Israel's preservation. It's got to do with American preservation. Because yeah. the Jewish Americans are ensuring that that's a, there's a power base that they can keep in the Middle East because of all the oils that are around there. So we mustn't be fooled by, by that, that Watson. I mean, the intention is not to, um, to for the benefit of, 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 the, of the people, the local people there. Um, they, you know, politicians play games. And so I'm, yeah. I'm totally with you there. From a theological perspective, we cannot just dismiss Israel. Because we read of them in the scriptures we follow, but how do we understand the their role right now, and how do we understand their role in 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 in, in, in history leading up to now, and 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 then 
how 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 then does salvation history continue beyond the people mm. of Israel mm. through Jesus Christ? And so, yeah, that's where I I am. That's that's a, that's a similar that's a similar um, kind of dichotomy when when it comes to like like being a man um, in in maybe a position of authority like you are, where like there's all sorts of vocabulary to to refer to you, um, but with Bishop Margaret, for instance, um, <laughs> there's not a lot of like common vocabulary when when people are referring to her. So it's like always reverent. It's always calling her out by her office and not by her gender, for for instance, because that's never really been a thing. Um, just for the record, the Anglican Church was the first church to um, ordain female um, priests and bishops, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, yeah, so the Anglican Church has gone quite quite a long way to kind of correct a lot of those injustices. Um, but then, again, uh, you read throughout, and I'm just referring to how, like, Old Testament Paul got with, with this specific thing, um, where in the Old Testament, it's, like, clearly stated that the man is the head of the household and the father is the law and all of those things. And that obviously permeates throughout the society and everything. I mean... By biologically, men are stronger than females. Um, that's just how we pop out. We have muscles in certain places. It's more developed, like opening jaws, for instance. The forms are like anatomically different between men and women, <laughs> which is it's bizarre, but it's fact. <laughs> like those all yeah. But then you you get guys who will then take that role that was thrust upon them by birth, by virtue of winning the chromosome lottery, or losing, depending on what side of the, the fence you are, um, where they then, they, you, are in, you have that extra strength to act as protector or to, you know, um, you use it for protection and not for aggression. And then you turn that power onto um, the people who you are supposed to protect, be protecting. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of like unlearning that needs to happen within within men as well um, to mm. understand that we are all equal and where there are biological like differences like those are for reasons and you need to like deeply reflect on how you are fulfilling those those pre predestined reasons. Mm. Let me let me start off by saying that the Anglican Church is described as being via media, middle of the road. Yeah. And so it tries to capture um, also the benefit of, of of others. So it's got a very inclusive kind of mm. of, of of spirituality, one one that is based on the incarnation, where God included us um, when Jesus came. Uh, the Word became flesh mm. and dwelt amongst us, and um, and so from that perspective. We we have been challenged and 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 looking at how language ca can become subjective mm. and and um, and we are we are not yet and it, and what is interesting now is what we are listening to in terms of how inclusive can language become that we are moving towards that come from the indigenous languages where, where the English had been a little bit far more diversified, diversified and, and, and categorized. Um, for example, there's no he and she in some of the, the indigenous languages, whereas with us in English, there's a he and a she. Mm -hmm. um, so the terminology, for example, that we, we seem to be heading for in our diocese at the moment, and perhaps in the Church of the Province too, is we're even moving away from the term reverent um, mm -hmm. to a more inclusive term. And it's possible that the more inclusive term uh, for all priests, not based on gender, is the Sutu word called Maruti. Or Mfundisi, okay. which is also, Mfundisi is a teacher as well as a, can be a priest. So you, 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 you don't have, it's not gender based. Mm. And so it's possible that indigenous languages are going to help us 
become more inclusive. Even though it's interesting that the indigenous uh, communities have a very strict hierarchical and patriarchal nature, their language is liberating, in fact, that it can Mm -hmm. be inclusive. So it's possible that in a couple of years, maybe, you're going to call me Maruti. Omfundis is another way. And reverend and father will all go through the windows because that's the more English tone. I think, I think secondly, the, the, um, the, you know, the whole nature of, 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 of understanding strength. And again, here, the language was used subjectively. Strength that could be seen was believed. Strength that could not be seen, yet experienced, was not seen as strength because it didn't have the physicality about it. Yeah. And it just yeah. shows you as we continue to grow how language needs to grow. We need to begin to speak in a new way in order to accommodate progress and transformation. We can't speak in the same language. Even looking at scripture, you know, how, how, how do we read scripture? We even in our theological um, understanding, in, in particularly in our diocese and in the Church of the Province, we're move, moving away from calling God He. Mm. You know, mm. we're trying to incorporate the, the word Father is far too limited for us. Although it's not, but we made it limited. So now you have to look for a term that is more inclusive, where God is more inclusively understood. So yes, language is, is the big thing here. That, and, and as you said, we need to reflect on it to be able for it to be more inclusive. And for me, when I read that last line in the, in the Matthean lesson reading for, for Sunday, it was liberating to hear the authors say it wasn't just men that were there. They were women and children. And for me, that was a, a liberating factor at the ministry of Jesus was not a patriarchal ministry. It was an inclusive ministry. It was an incarnational ministry. Now, why is Paul sad? He has a a history as a Jew. He knows the ins and outs of it. He was Mm -hmm. trained. And so he is speaking from his heart. I mean, I I listened to him saying, when when I saw how great my sorrow and how endless the pain of of my heart for my people, my own flesh and my own blood. Now, none of us would um, disagree when we're thinking of our families like that and when we're thinking of those whom we have been associated with in terms of race, nationality, um, gender. We all have we all have biases to these groups, um, but but I would say that it's not just for those groups. We have to have that sense of of depth of feeling for all people. But Paul needed also to place where his people were. I mean, he do, he does call them my people, and then he calls them God's people later on. Um, if we don't help Israel, we may lose Israel. So it is plea that they do find Jesus. Mm. Um, But now they won't find him exclusively, exclusively for themselves. They will find him in, they will find in him others. Mm. That may be different to them. And yet when you celebrate the differences, you will also see just how similar we are to each other. And that your strengths assists assists me and my strengths assist you. Um, And so for that kind of a community, we are needing a new language, which is what I think is the role of God's spirit to help us find that language that would be inclusive. And eventually all of us are able to say, but we are God's people. Mm. And we are covenanted to God in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's why I've, I've never had a, 
a problem with the philosophy of, of Jesus that he was spreading uh, because it's all about inclusive love, um, love one another as I have loved you, love your neighbor as yourself, that sort of whole vibe. I um, mean, it kind of wiped the slate clean of all the, like, the, the gender based pronouns um, in, in like the Ten Commandments of like, don't covet your neighbor's wife and all of those things. And like, let us not also forget that as progressive as Anglican Church is, it is in the founding philosophies because the church was only set up because a king didn't want to bend the knee to the Vatican and wanted to marry someone who would bear him other children. <laughs> Well, actually, he was looking for a son, which was also patriarchal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My colleagues, my colleagues, when we studied that in our church history three uh, program at seminary, would mm. one one of them would say the Anglican Church was founded on the bed of adultery. Ah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm happy to be there if we are treating all people as equal and allowing people to make decisions for themselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but, but you're right. You're right. I think that that's the point that you make. We can't, we can't rewrite history of the past. We can read what was written. We can, we should critique it, because when we are going to write our own history, we must not make the same mistakes that was made by previous historians, and and we must be able to say that when we write our own history, all voices must be heard. Mm. Um, and therefore, all need to be given the skill how to actually uh, uh, announce that in, in writing and orally. For example, the words that of the theme of today, or the, include, including the theme of today, the ninth Sunday, is domestic violence. Mm. Now, Something happened in the in the domestic arena that now said violence is added to it. Originally, domestic was not meant to have to be a place where violence became a reality. Of course, it didn't become a reality because people who were experiencing were sworn to silence out of fear mm. until. They had to break the silence, and thank God they did. And the same thing with gender-based violence. Violence was not part of that until people started breaking the silence. And now we are not just creating awareness of, the, of, this, of this reality that many people have been victimized and have died to as a result. We are now having to give a language to the survivor we are having to, to celebrate the person who was so badly victimized that they were martyred as a result mm. of, of that. And, and so all of this has to be not just male-dominated, um, uh, um, you know, in, the, in, in, in terms of the, the uh, um, aggressor. Yeah, Adressa, yeah. I wrote, I wrote a poem now in response to all of this, just a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, I think it was about two weeks ago, when there was a, a um, what do they call it, a webs, webinar, webinar, web, yeah, web, webinar yeah. Yeah. where they were speaking to the Archbishop and this was ladies addressing the whole issue of gender-based violence. <laughs> and and this, the, 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 the theme of it, started the word hut for, uh, yeah. you know, and then um, in their in the deliberations, people who was, were listening to them felt, felt that the language was not appropriate in the way they expressed themselves around this reality. And so I, I my contribution to the conversation that was happening while, where this was, was done, I said, I said, wounded words need to be expressed because it then could lead to wound, to 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 uh, healing words. If you hmm. don't give wounded words the space to be expressed, no matter how bad they sound, you can never arrive at 
at, at, at healing words. In that context, most, most of the people who raised the issue around the language not being helpful were males. Yeah. yeah. And if you read the Pew leaflet coming tomorrow, you'll read my poem. I gave, I wrote this poem in, in honor of St. Mary Magdalene because she was celebrated on this the Monday um, before. And I had written that poem coming out of that conversation and what had happened in the Archbishop's uh, webinar. And um, I had asked four ladies to critique it for me. And one did critique, and there was one part I wrote, which was basically at the bottom, that was addressing men. And she had said, it's probably a good idea if you put that as your first um, uh, uh, verse. Stanza. Then, stanza, and then you would be able to focus. Now you are actually saying to men, and I called it the voice of women, a voice of, a voice of women, and it actually starts with the words, let them speak. So uh, you can critique me on that when you read my poem next week. But it's all about the language story. Yeah, the language is and, a powerful thing. I mean, we've 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 gone over it quite quite a few times here. Where um, it's the first it's the first thing that they that when like the Hebrews were conquered by the Romans, the Babylonians, all of them. It's the first thing is you separate the people from their homeland and then you take their language away by teaching them yours and teaching them your history and ripping Absolutely. down all of their statues. Um, and that's also uh, like we, we must never forget that and, and I love that it's being referred to as gender-based violence because I've always had an issue with with the idea of like femicide um, because like homicides in South Africa um, are not are indiscriminate um, but like the the word gender for me, especially in these gender fluid times of 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 the late twenties, um, twenty 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 odds, um, includes the LGBTIQ LGBTIQ. Sorry, it sounded like I said P there. Um, yeah, that community as well, because there's horrific things that is just committed against uh, acts that are committed against that, the, the the community because of ignorance, and Absolutely. and not not allowing people to kind of make their own choices about their lives and like who they're going to love. And like, it doesn't matter if other people are, <laughs> are choosing to be different, you know? Mm. Um, and then the more, the quicker we, we can understand that and the quicker that men can understand that if a woman makes a point to you and you have no other option in the argument than to strike her, um, that should make you think like, why have I run out of language? You know, why have I run out of every other thing? Like maybe I am wrong. Um, you definitely are wrong if <laughs> if you have nothing better to do than, than to hit somebody just because you can, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, you know, that, they, yeah. yeah, Desmond Tutu said, said to us many years ago, and, and we, we, a lot of us cherish the statement he taught us, where he said his dad said to him, um, uh, do, not, do not raise your voice, strengthen your argument. And, mm. and, and, and that is such, so powerful because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a non-violent uh, protest against any form of verbal abuse that is coming. Mm. Um, it's the same thing about throwing uh, uh, cold water, uh, you know, to 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 simmer a, a fire. So, mm. so I think that I think that many of us again here, and and this is a, the striking thing about this, you won't be able to change your language if you don't yourself listen to it. Yeah. We, the speaker almost assumes that what is coming out of their mouth is fine. Mm. But are, is the speaker actually listening to what they are saying? And uh, I remembered, I, I think I mentioned it on one of our one of our podcasts early on, where I read somebody saying, the reason why I write is so that I can understand what I'm saying. Mm. And so maybe maybe we should all become writers so so that we can all understand what we are saying before we actually say it to other people. Yeah. And and I think because language uh, contextually 
um, and also also carries with it our fears and prejudices. And if we do not uh, listen to 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 that those elements in it, we will not be able to change the language to, in order to uh, enable the, the 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 our hearers to feel a sense of inclusivity and a sense of affirmation um, and exhortation um, and truth rather than the prejudice that normally comes with the way we speak. And, and so that's why, again, I'm referring to that last verse uh, that, um, that, that Matthew wrote about yeah. this yeah. event, that those who ate were 5,000 men besides women and children. He is almost as if his hand was played when he looked at this and said, I cannot ignore these other people. Uh, although we now call it the feeding of the 5,000 men, you know, yeah. is, and, it, and we so glibly say it's the feeding of the 5,000. But that's not true. It's mm. 5,000 besides others. So the story is is is, is more than five thousand, but it just shows you how patriarchal the society was. That it first had to talk about men before mm. it actually started in inclusive of, of, of women. So so again again we have to rethink. We have to all of us. I mean all of us have to really listen to the language on the inside mm. in order to transform and grow. Because if we don't, the society is built on language. So the society is recorded through language. Mm. Society is going to be taught with language. And you can imagine um, young children innocently having to listen to prejudice-filled language that if they don't have some form of rebellion in their teenage years will continue that belief because language creates belief. Mm. And language creating belief can therefore empower action. Mm. And in most cases end up with violent action. For example, um, we say when we see somebody driving that person belongs to a particular group. That's why they're doing the driving like that. Oh, yeah. it's just a woman. So all women drive yeah. badly. That's not yeah. true. But we believe it. You know, and we don't, we don't check all, it out. All the language that is used to belittle people or things or objects is all. Like if you check all the pronouns um, when, when you are saying something to belittle somebody else, it's always gender-based. and Absolutely. <laughs> Most of the time, it's referring to females, and that, that's, and, that's like the biggest problem. And racially based as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all that. But again, yes, you know, we were, we were studying, um, studying with, some, with, some, with some group, the whole, the whole um, the essence of power. And, and he was saying, the guy who was leading us saying, look, the power is the word out there. Anybody can use it. But for what is it being utilized? And he said, we must reclaim that word. We must reclaim the word so that we can then put into that word the energy that it was meant to have. And its energy was not for, dis for, for disruptive purposes. Its energy was meant for, for creativity, mm. encouragement, uh, support. But, but somehow somebody got hold of the word and turned it all around in favor of, of violence and strength and, yeah. and, and that kind yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah, so, I so, must actually give a nod to my, to my northern brethren. Um, <laughs> and for that, I'm, I'm referencing um, the, the colors from Gauteng, um, Joburg, um, Pretoria. If you speak to them, they refer to themselves as bushies, which I always found was really strange when I was studying um, <laughs> that you would call yourself <laughs> a bushy. And then just um, reflecting, uh, to, uh, talking to the point that you just raised now, it's like they've, they've completely diluted whatever power that word had over them. Um, and it's actually empowering themselves um, to refer Absolutely. to. It's actually empowering their culture and referring to each other 
themselves that way because they never really refer to other people so it's never used as um, something that's belittling um, it's it's the same rationale I use uh, I curse quite a lot in my ordinary life and uh, I'm indiscriminate um, doing it in front of my kids as well it's always like they, they grow up and they know how to use it because I try I never use it at people I use it as punctuation <laughs> okay. put it in, in a different way so there's never any malice um, behind it uh, but moving on talking about power I do need to just ask you this one question because we're going a bit long um, in the gospel which is Matthew 14 verses 13 to 21 obviously relates the story of the feeding of the many of the plenty <laughs> um, yeah what was Jesus's what do you think because I've always had a problem with the story. It's like, why did he perform that specific miracle? Was that just like a flex on his part? Because it says here that the people could have gone to to go and buy food at the shop and then come back, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then he was like, just, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. But what was what was his motivation? There's, no one tells you what the motivation was. Well, I think, I think my, my view comes up in this way. When we read verse 13, you, you read the words, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew himself, went into the secret and solid place of solitude. And for me, what when he emerged, having grappled with what he had heard, what he had heard was John the Baptist's death. Uh, John had been arrested, and John's mm. death, I mean, John wasn't even on trial. John was not even taken through the court system. The injustice done to St. John was that once a girl pleases the king, the daughter, the stepdaughter of the king pleased him with a dance and his guests, mm. she could demand anything. And because her mother, who was, um, who was Herod's wife, um, after he had killed his brother, was guilty of a, not just adultery, but guilty of murder as well. She couldn't mm. handle that truth. She then uh, influenced the daughter enough to do that. So when Jesus heard that, and he went into this place of, of desertion and privacy, mm. I wondered what happened when he came out. He could have gone there and stayed there and said, I'm not going to hide myself. Because mm. if John pointed my my ministry out and that he was the one that was the one who was to prepare the way for the for mm. me to come then if his life ended by speaking truth to power by by being prophetic ended in the way that it did what will happen to me so i think that that i mean not even the gospeler can the gospel writer captures what happened in that place of desertion. Mm. We can only but 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 believe that it was such an encounter with God. I, I called it in my sermon a Gethsemane moment mm. where where he really had to battle. What happened at as a result of this, because as as Matthew put the stories together, I think it's a way of saying to the powers that be I will continue with the mission God has called me to. And what is the mission that, I will, that I'm called to you? You that are in power, you don't care for the, the underlings that you should care for. You have no sense of justice and therefore you have no sense of compassion. So yeah. I will heal the sick. I will show their compassion. I will respond to their need. I will not further oppress them so jesus so jesus was saying my mission and my ministry is to is to heal and not to destroy as what you are doing and you think you legal that's the first thing that he said and so he cured the sick yeah they don't say what type of sicknesses there was just sicknesses across the board and Jesus ministered to every form of, of sickness that they could be. Now, the second um, act of what I would call, um, uh, um, you know, where you are civilly disobedient, where you're taking the authorities on Jesus, then shows hospitality. Mm. He doesn't arrest people. 
and put them in a cold prison cell without trial. He shows hospitality. And so what was he doing in feeding people? He was showing hospitality. He was saying to the disciples, my ministry and mission is all about hospitality. It's about welcoming. It's about including. Mm -hmm. It's about sharing. And it's about feeding. Now, you need to, to feed them from your own coffers. What do you have that you can give? So in other words, what's already given to you that you can now give to others? Mm. That you can be show hospitality because they were my guests. I'm not going to turn them away. So a form, the challenge of the of the cruel king to the cruel king was the mission of Jesus is about hospitality. It's about helping people in their need. And it's by looking at the resources that they've been blessed with that they too can now share for the benefit of others. So they said. Uh, um, you give them, they replied, we have nothing but five loaves and two fish. Well, it's not the little boy in this story. It's the disciples who seem to yeah. have it. And Jesus says, almost Jesus says, that's enough. Bring them to me. So what we have, if we truly give, if we admit to what we have and we truly bring it to Jesus, out of this, a miracle can happen. Was the miracle that he could feed 5,000 men besides women and children? Or was the miracle in showing that what you have, when brought to Christ, it can be blessed for the benefit of others? It is about giving life and not about taking away life as Herod had done. Mm -hmm. And so it's possible, some scholars say, that when these five loaves and two fish came out, the people also then took out what meals yes. they had brought to them and shared it. Um, so whether it was done in what could be seen as a very unique um, um, miracle, five loaves and two fish fed all those people, what, what was important to remember too is that what God blesses there is abundance left over so that it is further shared because, because the hunger of the world for God will always be there. So gather up what is not needed that is meant to share with others. And it says here they, they, um, they gathered up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And that 12 is a significant number related to the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm. To the that so much was left that more could, could, could share in it. I think that on, on one level, this was Jesus saying after his encounter with God in what I see as a Gethsemane moment of saying mm. to powers that be, the mission will not stop with John's death. Mm. That. Okay, I, 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 I missed, I missed a lot of the 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 politic um, angle from from that. It's not very well carried over, um, like it's not stated like plainly. Um, you you kind of have to take a scholastic view on it. Obviously, the way you have uh, through through all of your your lesson, your learnings, um, young in your younger lives. But I do also the other scholastic view of. Um, the, the there wasn't actually like the the multiplying miracle that happened. It was more the people who then started sharing amongst themselves after Jesus had set that example. And I I like to carry that forward into this moment that we're in right now. I've been talking to um, a couple of people like on other assignments that have been commissioned um, by by editors, where um, there are people who obviously are part part of the each one feed one. Um, Initiative. There was it's the Colisi Foundation, the Nelson Mandela Foundation, and I think Maps Mapunyane's um, foundation is also a part of that. Where I think they've driven in excess of fourteen thousand kilometers across the various provinces to various corners to take food parcels um, to needy people, and what they encounter there are it's just horrific stories of greedy counselors, ward counselors who are taking money from people to get on imaginary lists. Um, to then be 
um, given food parcels that are passed down from government. Um, there's, I think there's a monthly budget of a thousand rand per family of four that is given to these councillors as well. And what they are handing out as food parcels is equal to like 150 rand maybe. And they're pocketing the rest. It's just disgusting things that are happening. And for me, like the key message here is that once we, once we get over the fact that we must take care of like our immediate family, once we say that we have enough and we can share what little we have, you know, be, no, like just looking at our immediate community and seeing the people who really have less than what we have and sharing with them. Once we get over that greed of hoarding all the resources for ourselves and we distribute things a lot more equally, we'll find that we are we have much more than than our society would ever need to survive. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Now, absolutely, it's just all about absolutely. We, we, they, they, amongst yeah. In in other words, there is enough to feed everybody. Yeah. But but the way that the resources are determined is where the problem lies because of greed and fear. Mm. Fear. I must hoard because I fear that I will not have for tomorrow. Mm. And and inevitably, what you hoard gathers, um, uh, the, the lesson is that it, it becomes it becomes moldy and you've got to throw mm. it away when it could have been of benefit to somebody else. Uh, again, yeah, you know, why, why would, even, the, even if we have fridges, food still go off? Yeah. So what is God teaching us about making too much and having too much? when somebody else can benefit from some of the some of what we've had we've got enough of and can still share with others so it's a real a real lesson here i just want to latch on to the counselors you know jesus said to the disciples you feed them mm. and because the counselors do not realize that what they are working with is not theirs mm. It is the very people for whom the money is meant are the people from whom the money is gained because of what they have to do. And so how do you deal with that, that selfishness that's so in us, that greed? Um, and politicians will have to account, leaders will have to account hugely mm. for what we have done to those less fortunate than ourselves and more so in our society right now. I just want to conclude this, uh, this, the, the sharing part with the words that we were given uh, to consider around compassion. If I may just read that. The, the, this was written by Sue Jordan, and she says, compassion means to become close to the one who suffers. A compassionate person says, I am your brother. I am your sister. I am human, fragile, and mortal, just like you. I am not embarrassed by your tears, nor afraid of your pain. I too have wept. I too have felt pain. I cannot take your pain away. I cannot offer you a solution for your problem. But I can promise you that I won't leave you alone and will hold on to you as long and as well as I can. There is much grief and pain in our lives, but what a blessing it is when we do not have to live our grief and pain alone. This is the gift of compassion. And I think that would lead me on to just do the prayer for COVID-19. Uh, Lindsay, yeah. in this time we are um, focusing on, author of life and healer of the nations, please grant us courage to face our trial, wisdom to find relief, faith to live responsibly, grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake, amen. And then in conclusion of the service, on this podcast, 
we want to give thanks to God for being gracious to all of us. And now we ask God's blessings as we go into the world that we be strengthened by the gifts with which Christ has fed us. Be generous to others for Christ has given extravagantly to live by God's word, avoiding lies and violence and to walk in God's paths and never stray. May God's wonderful love be with you everywhere. May Christ Jesus feed you with his body and word. And may the Holy Spirit confirm the truth in you and fill you with God's presence always. Amen.